That's on page uh, 692, I think. Yeah, 692. While you're turning there, it's great, isn't it, because we're coming to uh, Christmas. I get excited about Christmas. We've got the giving and receiving of presents. Uh, it reminds us that um, the best present, really, and it's no cliche, is the presence of Christ in our hearts, presence of Christ in the world, of a story, a, a fact in history, a moment in history where his feet walk this earth, which is incredible. Uh, God himself walking this earth. But uh, at Christmas, we remember the birth of the child, and we're in this season of Advent, of anticipation and excitement. I, I like that. Do you like that? I think it's all right. I like it. Uh, I tend to eat more peanuts at Christmas than any other time of the year. Do you notice that? They're always out. This is just, you go through just eating peanuts all the time. That's me. Um, so um, we're going to talk about this a little bit this morning and that's going to lead us nicely into communion. So I'm in Isaiah chapter 7, I'm going to read verses 10 to 14, just open them up a bit and see what the Lord says to us this morning. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And we hear that verse often um, at Christmas time, don't we? If we have a second slide please, uh, Martin. And we hear that uh, verse uh, quite often at Christmas time. Therefore, the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, this passage in Isaiah was probably talking about that time about a young woman from the house of Ahaz. He was the king of Judah at the time who would marry and have a son and would help them against the attacks that were going to come their way. But then 700 or so years later, Matthew in his gospel, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, quotes from Isaiah, you know, 700 years or so before, as a fulfilment of the prophecy in that Mary bore a son and he was to be called Emmanuel, the Christ. Matthew 1, 22 to 23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said and he's, he's quoting Isaiah chapter 7, 700 or so years earlier. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. But then Matthew adds... Uh, to, to the passage, which Isaiah didn't there, which means God with us. Isn't that an amazing truth? Because of the birth of Christ, God lives in you if you want him to. And I find that incredible. God himself promises to live in the heart of every believer. Amazing. So the prophecy was for the 700 years before, all those years ago, and now 700 years later at the birth of Christ, it's linked to him. It was for then. And it was also, they didn't know it at the time, 700 years on for the future. And that's so often the case with prophecy. Sometimes it speaks into the situation now, but it can also be for some time in the future as well. So Christmas is exciting. And we're in this time of anticipation. And Advent, the word itself, is derived from a Latin word called Adventus, means coming. When we say Advent, it means Jesus is coming. And so we've still got it happened then, and it's going to happen again. It was for then, it's also for the future. Coming is a translation of the Greek word parousia, which is when we say we want the parousia, we want Jesus to come again. We sang that, come now. Imagine if he did this morning. And as we're singing that, can you imagine? It'd be incredible. But it's going to happen one day. 
And once again, there's the now in the sense that it was the now, it was for them now, their now was 2,000 years ago. The birth of Christ happened. It was an event in history. But also for the future, for us, he is going to come again. He is going to come again. And I look at the chaos in the world and I think, well, hopefully he comes soon. I mean, I haven't stopped paying into my pension plan because preachers for 2,000 years have been saying they're going to come in his lifetime. But as often said, we've got, we've got more reasons to think he's going to come in our lifetime than they did because we know they were wrong already. <laughs> Only the Father knows when Jesus is going to return. But he is coming and the signs are there. And we're in this sense of anticipation. Amazing. And, you know, in his first coming... He was, he was mistook for somebody that he wasn't. They wanted someone different, but he wasn't that either. They wanted their idea of what God would look like. He came as the suffering servant. That was his first coming. His second coming, he's going to come as the conquering king. All things will be under his rule. In his first coming, Jesus arrived in the most humble of circumstances when we think about the baby in the manger. In his second coming, Jesus will arrive with the armies of heaven at his side. And that is going to be an awesome sight. And as Christians, we can look forward to that because we are saved, which is what we're going to give thanks for because of his work on the cross. But he is coming again and he will bring all the armies of heaven with him and we'll be part of that. Isn't, it's just incredible. When, when the imagery is incredible. speaks about it in Revelation 19, 11 to 16. And if you don't grasp the holiness of God from this passage, I don't think you ever will. And, and a godly fear, if I want to say that word. We don't like to use that. But also all that sort of awesomeness and... Well, now I'm okay, but that's still going to be quite an event. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword in which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. What an image. I mean, thank God I'm saved. Right? And thank God you are as well. And if you're not, you should be fearful. The angels at Christmas said, do not fear. You don't have to fear if you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you're not in Christ. You're enmity towards God. You're either with him or not. There is no middle ground. I don't think Jesus intended there to be middle ground. We're either for him or against him. If we dishonour the Son, we'll be dishonoured. So we have to put our faith and trust in him. But we can, as Christians, live with the huge anticipation and the expectation. We live now, you live now, between the two advents. You know, it happened, it's going to happen again. Jesus came, it will come again. So how are we going to live in this moment of history? Or your moment now, this is your time. This is nobody else's time. This is your time. How are you going to honour God in the way, when we think about what he's done for us already, but also he's going to return? How will he find me? Not literally, he'll find me, but how will he find me living my life? How will he find my witness? How will he find my truth? He came and he will come again. We've got to know how to live at this moment, your moment now, how to live in light of all the prophecies that were then. Some are still waiting to be fulfilled. You've got to hold the two intention. This is your time right now. 
And in these times, there's uncertainty, there's questions, there is an attack on truth, there is an attack on the church and its beliefs, the temptation for the church is to try and fit in, maybe sometimes a bit too much, the temptation maybe to throw your hands in the air and say, well, I can't change anything. When you're not sure of the future, when you feel lost or inadequate, must hold on to a fundamental truth, the light that pierces any darkness that the world can throw at us. The life-changing, life-giving message of Christmas, of Advent, is they will call him Emmanuel, God is with you. Amazing. Right now, he's among us, he's in us, and he sends us. He's with you in Christ. The baby was born for a reason. You know, and it's the, the Christmas story is nice, but we've, we've made it nicer. I might speak about this at the carols, I'm not really sure yet, but it would have been a bit of a journey for them. Dangerous territory, uh, fear from the animals that could have got to them as they journeyed. We don't hear about that stuff. Lots of fear. And then it's probably all a bit messy. And our lives can be a bit messy, and God meets with us in that mess. The baby was born for a reason, and he was born to die and pay for your sin. And God offers that, and the people that reject it, they're going to face the army of heaven. It's actually an image that I wouldn't want to face without Christ. We just sang, clothed in his righteousness. I can stand before God and say, well, Jesus has paid for my sin. He's clothed me in his righteousness. I'm okay. I still have a healthy fear, though. He came to die and pay for your sins so that you don't have to, or you can choose to. But he said you must turn to him. The word is repent to change your mind. You must turn to him. Believe in what he's done on the cross, that he's paid for your sin. Trust that. You must turn to him. Repent. Believe in what he's done for you. Be baptised as a sign and sacrament of the new birth that he promises to give. And his promise is you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then listen to this. You're filled with the Holy Spirit so that Christ lives in you. That's why we're called Christians. It was a slur. They were originally called followers of the way. Christian, oh, look at them Christians. I quite like the term Christian because it's Christ and Ian, you see. And it's been, that has been used against me, I can tell you, at various conferences where people say, you know, don't take the Christ out of Christian because you'll be left with Ian and he'll tell you nothing. And they all laugh at me. And I say, well, my name's in there. But actually, it's a, it was a slur. Look at, those, look at those Christians. But we bear his name. We're like little Christs going out into the world. He's filled us with his spirit. And we've got this great message of hope in a dark world. Amazing. Christ in you. Isn't that incredible? Christ in you. His spirit lives in you. God is with you all the time. And he says, come to me. The baby came to die. Repent. Turn to God. Trust in the cross. Get baptised. Be filled with the Spirit. That's the normal Christian birth. God can work outside of that box, but that's, that's what's laid down in the Bible. We've got a baptismal service coming up on Easter Sunday. I'd love us to have, one, to, have to have one before that. Out of obedience. Out of really laying a life down for God. God is with you all the time. You need to be aware of that. I'm aware of that. I'm not always aware of it. I have to remind myself. But I feel inadequate. In loads of different situations, I think, well, what right have I got? Or how am I going to work this out? We have issues in, in our family sometimes, so same as everybody's has in theirs. I have issues in ministry sometimes, so like every minister 
has in there. And I can get a sense of inadequacy and insecure. But one thing I know, whenever those times come, and when it's all positive, like if I've had the shredded wheat, like you know, John clearly had this morning. Um, it's brilliant, by the way, I'm not joking. But what I do know is whatever's going on, God is with me, and he will not let me go. Don't we sing that in the Guardian song, I love it, um, uh, and when I wander, his love will find me. He never lets go. Isn't that, it's just amazing. When I get the, ho- the sense of holiness from that passage in Revelation, and yet I've got the intimacy of a God that holds me and will not let me go. And sometimes I'm crying in his arms, and other times I'm laughing, but he will not let me go. He's got me, I am his, he is mine. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, slide three, please, uh, Martin. So as we approach Christmas, we need to remind ourselves that the baby will be born so that you are able to be born again. And the word there is again, right, because it's a spiritual re- rebirth. We know that we were born uh, flesh and blood. This is the whole story of Nicodemus. We heard this uh, from David last Sunday evening when Nicodemus comes in the dead of night and he speaks to Jesus and he thinks he knows it all, but he can't quite understand it. But we must be born again. We must be born again. John 3, 1 to 6. Now there was a Pharisee, a man called Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Right? It's not just about coming to church or doing good deeds and everything else as good as they are, and that is God's intention. You must be born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Recently I was in a situation uh, where I'd met some old friends, uh, some of them for the first time in years. And it's safe to say that the place I was at was probably the only Christian, certainly the only one I knew of, in that situation. And of course they know what I do and everything else. And, you know, I walk in and they say, oh, here he comes. And they do all this stuff. And, you know, they were going to order a glass of water. Maybe you could do the wine trick. They get all those jokes, okay? And, and, you know, they laugh it off because they're a bit nervous. I'm not the person I was then, thank God. Um, but I can tell you, they're all, well, many of them were like little Nicodemuses. Because when I was away from the crowd, they approached me separately and said, we're really interested. Or, my life's a mess. Or, you know, Ian, I've got two roads I'm looking at. One said, I'm either going to Thailand, or you need to come and see me, uh, because uh, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. There's lots of Nicodemuses out there. And at Christmas, we have a chance to invite them and let them hear the great message of hope. The saviour birth that we look forward to is part of a much greater plan. And that plan was that you might be born again. Which, which means Jesus wants to give us life now in all its fullness, but and also for eternity. And those early Christians always had an eye on eternity. They didn't know how long their lives were going to be. They could have ended the next day, as can yours. But the eye was on eternity. And when we focus on eternity, we can half cope with a lot in this life. Because you think, well actually, as I keep saying, Billy Graham said, I read the last page of the Bible, it's all going to be okay in the end. We can look forward with anticipation. And we need to live our lives through the lens of the manger, the purpose he was born, and the outworking of that. Romans 15, uh, 12 to 13. He's quoting Paul, Isaiah 11, verse 10. It says, 
And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. And then slide four, please, Martin. May the God of hope fill you, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We've lit the candle of hope this morning. And as you live now, this is your time, as you live between the prophecy that was fulfilled then and the one that will be fulfilled when he returns, the prayer is that the God of hope in that passage that Paul wrote fills us with joy, peace, trust, love, all great things that God offers to give us. Joy, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Be joyful always. Really? Am I joyful always? If we can get the word joy and and leave its connotations to happy, we can do it. We're not happy always. We all know that. But we can have a joyful heart. We can give uh, thanks to God. It says, be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. You can always thank God for something. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I think that passage, whenever I read it, speaks to me about having a positive attitude. You know, and we, people do, oh, there's always someone worse off, and we don't want people to be worse off, but be joyful always. And I've seen people in really dire circumstances still have the joy of Christ in them. Pray continually. I mean, there's loads of different ways to pray, but the Bible talks about going to the room by yourself and equally talks about corporate prayer. Continually. I try and pray as a conversation throughout the day. I'm actually not that great at spending an hour or 15 minutes even praying. I sort of pray and I think, well, I've prayed and I listen and then that's it. But during the day, that's just my style. Everyone finds their own. But there is that kind of, I'll come into the office say, right, Jesus, we're here today and it's going to be a good day and I pray for the services. It's a conversation because it's personal because God is in me. He's in you if you want him to be. So one of the things Paul said was joy. The other thing he said, peace. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. How does that work? How do we be at peace when I look at the world, I look at things going on around me and some things that affect me directly? How can I have that peace? There's only one way. I must have Christ rule in my heart. I must be able to say that with whatever, everything that's going on, I will trust him. And I don't understand. If I, to, if I understood everything, I don't need any faith. I don't understand, but I'm going to trust him. And if I can trust him, then I can have that peace. And I don't know how it's going to all work out. I'm not the managing director of my life or anybody else's. I don't have all the answers and I can't fix everything, but I'm going to pray that the peace of Christ dwells in my heart because he rules. I can't do it without Christ. There's many things in my life that I don't understand and I don't really know why they're happening, but I, I cannot control everything. There's probably things in your life as well, and I have to hand them over and say, God, give me the peace that surpasses understanding because I can't cope. It's the only way is to have Christ in your heart and have that peace. And then there's trust that Paul talks about. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. He will make your path straight. What a great promise. This is the God that lives in you. And he promises to be with you, whatever you're doing. But we must, I must trust him with all my heart. I can't lean on my own understanding. I don't get it sometimes. But he does. 
and I have to trust him and a peace will dwell in my heart with the trust. And Paul talks about being filled with the Spirit in that passage. He goes on in Ephesians 5.18, Do not get drunk on wine, quite timely at Christmas time, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I don't know why the translators don't do it, but it's actually meant to say, go on being filled with the Spirit. It's not a one-off event. I pray that every day for myself. Sometimes I'm aware of it, sometimes I'm not. But go on being filled. Christ is in you. And these are the promises that are available to you and have been given because of the upcoming birth that we celebrate of Christ. So we can say with real confidence if we're in Christ, come Lord Jesus, come Emmanuel. God, you're in us, you're with us, but come Lord Jesus. And we don't have to have that fear of the armies of heaven because we'll be called up with them. That you should fear if you're not. So come Lord Jesus. Now Advent mission, you know we've got our leaflets, we've got the publicity. You're an army of God's people. Make the invitation. What's our Advent mission? Uh, Paul talks about uh, uh, his mission, Colossians 1.27. God has chosen to make known Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in you. I find that incredible. And he goes on to say in verse 28 and 29, we proclaim him so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. You're not perfect without him. In Christ, he clothes you with his righteousness so that you can stand before that holy God. He says, to this end I labour, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works within me. You're not all evangelists. I accept that. And it's biblical because the Bible says he called some to be evangelists. But you are all witnesses with the way you live your life, your speech, the way you treat people, the way you might even put a leaflet through someone's door because you care for the lost. And you might suffer a bit of embarrassment. You might want to put it under the head in persecution, but it really isn't. We're all called to be witnesses. I love the church. I hate it when people speak out against the church. Sometimes there has to be something said. But I've been in too many ministers' meetings and I've been in too many social things where the gospel was just hindered by Christians. You know, I went to something um, a few years back and a mixture of Christians and non-Christians. Really nice evening, I was having a glass of red wine. Uh, My job was to keep the fire going, so I sat by the fire and I love fires. You know, I was a bit jealous actually that Charlotte got to do the candle, but anyway, I've got the matches. So I'm doing it, and then uh, some friends of the family who invited us came over, and uh, they had two daughters, and one lived, uh, lived in New York. And so I said, oh, I lived in New York, and we got talking, and she wasn't a Christian. And um, we're talking, I'm witnessing to her, but very, very low-key. I said, oh, yeah, you know, I'll do this, then, whatever. And someone said something um, uh, about this church. Uh, I, I, can't, I, think, I cannot remember what it was. Maybe I said something, oh, we're doing this. And somebody that, that doesn't come anymore said, oh, the Baptist church, you'll spend two years talking about it and then you won't do it because, you know, it's just, that's what you do. He put us right down. And the girl said to me, are they a Christian? I said, yeah. She said, you just haven't got it sorted out and walked off. You know, so I called the minister of their church. I asked him to come in and I spoke to him. I didn't tell him who it was. I said, you've got to sort this out because the gospel was hindered by the Christians. You know, I love the church. I want you to only speak highly of the church. If there's something bad, come and see me. Don't speak, don't speak to anybody else or outside. Our witness, I'm proud of you. 
in a godly way. I'd speak highly. When my non-Christian friends, I said, well, what, so is it a big church? I said, well, we've got three congregations and we do this, we do that. And it's amazing. And the work they do, we've got this, this, this and going on. They say, well, you must have like 100 staff. I said, no, it's mostly volunteers. Oh, right, so you get money. They had no idea. Do you get money from the diocese? <laughs> I said, no. I said, well, how do you, how do you fund yourself? Do the members give? Oh, really? Is that all to pay your wages? I said, no, the staff costs are less than half of the, of the finance. It gets given away. It's for mission and ministry. Why do they do that? Because they really care about people like you. I'm proud of it. And I'll only speak highly of you. Uh, and frankly, there are some things I, c- I could say. but I'm not. <laughs> I didn't mean that the way it came out. <laughs> what I'm saying is, we're not perfect. We all know we're not perfect, right? But we're a people of grace and of love and of hope and of peace because Christ lives in you, the hope of glory. And so I don't ever want to speak against another church, unless I think they're in doctrinal error and, and, and it's right to, to speak out if they're, in, if they're not speaking in truth. But I'm not going to put down other Christians in front of non-believers. I'm just not going to do it. I don't think it's honouring and I don't think that's where God gives us a blessing. On the basis, he says, where brothers and sisters dwell together in unity, there the Lord bestows a blessing. Therefore, if, 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 I'm, if I'm being just speaking nastily, then I'm not going to be blessed and I want to be blessed. So I want to say, be able to say with Paul that we proclaim him so we may present everyone perfect in Christ. This is the message of Christmas. They need Christ. To this end I labour, struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. I love the church. Best evangelism is done through the local church. So let's speak proudly of the church. Speak proudly of its mission. And we respond uh, as we worship and as we come to communion. We can rejoice. We'll be singing it at some point uh, at Christmas. Rejoice, rejoice. God has paved the way in sending his son. And the lives we live now, as the old prophecy was fulfilled, the new prophecy will be fulfilled, is a life of joy, peace, trust, saying to God, fill me with your spirit. Set me on fire, and, and as John Wesley used to say, and let other people watch me burn with passion. Lead me home eventually, because I will meet him face to face to you. All made possible because of the cross. The baby was born to die on a cross. And, it, and we could say, well, that's, it, well, it wasn't a happy ending, but actually defeated death, he defeated Satan. Uh, we're in this mopping up campaign, there is death and decay in the world, our bodies are ageing, we, we will be redeemed, we will be, uh, get new, be, be made new all over again, there will be no tears, pain or suffering, they're the prophecies that are coming. We live in the in-between times, it's a bit messy, but Christ is in you, the hope of glory. So you let people say to you, Look at them Christians, bunch of do-gooders as a slur, because that's great. I'm a Christian, I'm proud of it, and I follow Jesus. And, and this Christmas time, I can invite people to our services, because I'm proud of you as well. So when they come in, make sure you speak highly of the church. Speak a bit highly of me if you want, but, um, <laughs> but speak highly of Christ. He's amazing. He is amazing. When you think about the awesomeness, the holiness of God, and yet he lowers himself to become like us because he loved you so much, he got in the playpen, to play with us because we, were, we weren't allowed out to play because we was, we've been naughty. He got in with us. He doesn't leave us. And he changes us to become more like him. And one day we'll see him face to face and we'll see him in all his glory. Amen.